welcome to Mystery Simon Theater 3000. I'm Simon, and in this show, I'm going to be taking you through my VHS collection of almost 3,000 titles. Every episode, I'm going to try and tell you about the three tapes that I watched. One of them is chosen via a random number generator. The second one is chosen by my co-host. And the third one is chosen by a guest. And our guest this episode is Bugby uh, of the podcast Film Church. Yeah. How are you doing? Pretty good. Not too bad. Just hanging out. Uh, my my podcast is on hiatus uh, for the last uh, year or two. Um, but it's still pretty like it's a really interesting uh, podcast we were listening to a few episodes this week nice. um, but if you can just tell us a little bit about what your podcast is why you do it and your relationship to movies or even just like media in general like I feel sure. like we share a lot of interests and are fascinated by the same things heck yeah um, well I went to film school and um, studied a lot of film and the, the podcast I, I wanted it to be an educational experience for anyone, any youngins that might want mm. to learn more about the filmmaking process. Um, and also talk a little bit about history, um, bringing on people, you know, eventually, hopefully, people that were actually in the industry, um, but also just friends and family. Um, I still have some connections to that industry. Mm -hmm. So trying to get more folks on that, that could talk... Um, with some authority was my intent, but also just to kind of humanize it and then just talk about uh, filmmaking techniques um, and talk about some history as well. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to, to make a podcast as you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, especially on the video side. Um, so, but again, that, that challenge is just ongoing. Um, I've I've had ideas to bring it back for sure, and maybe mix it up and change uh, some of the style, but I'm, that's still kind of on the the, the chopping block. Mm -hmm. um, but you're thinking about it. I don't think there's ever really a time when you're not thinking about what you want to do differently. Yeah. Well, and and part of the distraction in my life, my creative life, is working on role playing games. Um, I'm, I'm actually writing um, adventures for a game called Shadow Dark, which is where oh, this yeah. comes cool. from. <laughs> um, so having enough free time to write out the scripts for the podcast is challenging and also scheduling uh, guests. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of looking for a, a co-host that might be willing to just come on more regularly mm -hmm. and then maybe every once in a while do the guests. Okay. Um, cool. So, are yeah. you also just like doing everything yourself? The you're you're getting the guests, you're scheduling the guests, and like pretty much producing this whole podcast by yourself. Yeah. Uh, when we were chatting earlier, you also edit it. Correct. It just it just sounds like you need some kind of like creative partners. <laughs> I would agree with that. Like in, in front of the <laughs> mic, behind the mic, somewhere, it seems like yeah. you can just do with like his. Um, I'm sure a lot of people like realize that, or maybe I actually maybe I think enough people like don't just considering the number of podcasts that exist. There's like three million podcasts that have ever been created. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they may or may not be still um, like in production, but uh, I can understand where people just don't realize how much work it takes to put out something as simple as an audio conversation. There's very true. People don't realize the kind of standards that they have. Yeah, and the work that goes into making something that is pleasant to listen or watch. 
I agree. I, I should know better because, you know, <laughs> this media and film is collaborative mm -hmm. by nature. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you get more out of it. So that's why bringing on guests was important <laughs> to begin with. I, I do like some podcasts that kind of just preach from one person. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely you know people that are really good at that. Um, I don't think I'm one of them yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you get a different dynamic when you're sitting down with other people mm -hmm. and can bounce ideas off of them, for one, um, and also just get their opinion. So, yeah, collaborating is something that I'm hoping to expand on with yeah. Film Church. Cool. My very first guest on the podcast, uh, Jason Dingus, mm -hmm. um, he worked in the industry. He, he's kind of moved outside of that. And so he was an inspiration too to bring in someone that had some onset experience. He's, he's kind of a, a, a silly guy though, in, in terms of like just wanting to talk about the movie, not mm -hmm. necessarily go into a lot of details. I, I also kind of put him on the spot to be my first guest. So <laughs> props to Jason. He has his own podcast called Lost Rhetoric that I've been on a couple of times as well. Interesting. What's and, that one about? Um, it's about um, <laughs> supernatural. Um, who was who was that guy that had like that show on the radio about Art Bell? Yes, Art Bell. It's kind of like that. Coast to coast. Coast to coast. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's like that, and he's. Um, during the pandemic, he was doing it like every week because he didn't have to work. Yeah. Um, and now it's a little bit less, but it's the same sort of thing. Uh, we, we did something on, um, was it like zero, zero point energy? Okay. And, um, and all sorts of like, yeah. you know, topics. Um, and it's interesting. So I, sort of fun conspiratainment. Uh, yeah. Wing of conspiracy theory. The, what what conspiracy theories used like they used to be so much more fun. Yeah, <laughs> right. So anyway, lost rhetoric. Check it out. If yeah, it you, sounds cool. I like that sort of thing. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So the first movie we're going to talk about is actually another BBC TV miniseries, and the reason we're only doing two videos, or rather, two titles, this episode is we had decided that if any one tape kind of is more than three hours, it'll count as two tapes. <laughs> um, because we do have like pretty lengthy collections of media. We have like Ken Burns' Civil War. And if that came up randomly, I don't want to watch that in one week, all of it. And then two other movies. It's, it's too much. I, this is already very, this is already a lot to yeah. try and squeeze into one week. This was a really interesting title. I feel like it was a pretty big roller coaster of expectations <laughs> on my end, uh, mostly because I, I really try not to read the log lines until we're here. I really enjoy reacting to them uh, with you and for you. So, like, Johnny was excited about this, this uh, tape. I was very excited. So this came up in the random draw, yeah. and when I saw it, I was like, perfect, perfect, <laughs> because I've been wanting to pick this one. I've also been trying to cool it on picking through all the the stuff that I want to see because it's probably a lot of good stuff. Um, and you got to leave some stuff for guests. Yeah, the long, the long and sh short of it, it's very, it's long. <laughs> this is a, it was a six episodes, so it's a six hour uh, TV event. <laughs> and I don't know. So I'll just take you through the the box art right now. It just like it sort of has a scene from the movie, like a scene from the very beginning of the movie. 
When I judge a movie by its cover, I assumed this was going to be a man goes to prison for something. I don't know. He's (laughs) on a bed, cradling a teddy bear and a gun. The lighting's really bad. It's not even dramatic. It's just kind of like bad lighting. And I remember when I saw this happen in... (laughs) in the first episode and it was just like a slightly different angle because this actor looks completely different um i had a really hard time like i still don't recognize him this is the guy from jurassic park he's the he's the clever girl guy yeah oh yeah Yeah. he doesn't look like that just does not look like him like this is just a really bad photograph of somebody um yeah not much to say like i couldn't really even like extrapolate anything from the title the edge edge of darkness like again like it really fed into my assumptions that this somehow had to do with like a man going to prison like darkness what like oh this movie is also very dark (laughs) this movie is so dark um i did and did not like this movie mostly i did it's good though objectively this is good so let's let's go through this log line if this case explodes, it can take all of England with it. That, that's probably like a tagline. <laughs> Joe Don Baker. Oh, he's the first one I mentioned. I love that he's the first <laughs> thing that gets mentioned in this log line, especially after after having seen it. I didn't make it didn't register when I first read it, but after having seen it, I'm like, yes, Joe Don Baker deserves that lead. <laughs> Yeah, he he's not the uh, like, or he isn't above the title uh, name, but he's not like the star of this. Like, yeah. I, like he he's one of the co-stars. Um, Bob Peck is the main starring actor in this, so it's just really funny because like Joe Don Baker and his character in this movie is just like a a Texan, like everything that you would put into it, like a Texas stereotype who went to Vietnam and became a CIA, yes. <laughs> uh, special forces, uh, Langley incarnate, just, <laughs> just like one, just tr- like the, one of the most charming people I've ever watched. Okay. Jodan Baker and British stars. Notice Jodan Baker doesn't need Texans, <laughs> Texan actor. I have a theory after watching this that, People in the UK just think we're all Joe Don Baker. I don't blame them. (laughs) As they should. (laughs) They're 10. (laughs) Joe Don Baker and British star Bob Peck head the cast of this powerful atmospheric mystery about nuclear contamination and top secret government projects set in England. At the center of the action is police detective Ronnie Craven Peck whose life is suddenly shattered by his daughter's murder. Investigating the killing on his own, Craven soon becomes embroiled with a mysterious duo from the Prime Minister's office, plus a risk-taking maverick CIA agent, hard-hitting environmental activists, and ruthless international corporations. Whew! That's not the end of the logline. That's just all of the players in this miniseries. With each new lead, the case becomes more complicated and the stakes grow higher. As Craven discovers he's up against much more than he ever imagined, and no one is quite what they appear to be, stylishly filmed and superbly performed, this original BBC production won a total of six British Academy Awards. It is a timely, tension-filled thriller that will both challenge and utterly intrigue you from beginning to end. 
that was quite a log line, but mm. I agree with it. Yeah. A lot of the times uh, we'll get, well, not a lot of the times, but I feel like half the times we'll get a log line that is like, okay, th- that, that thing happened, but that's not what this movie is about. <laughs> and that's like a pretty good summation of what's going on without really giving anything away. I could see how you were excited um, about it. It's just, this is a very hard piece of media to watch in one sitting. And I I kind of wish that, even though it's on like two separate tapes, I wish the episodes were broken up. And this is the case with every other miniseries that we've watched so far. It's like whatever's on one tape just plays the entire way through. And it's just... Like I, I, I got tired. So it's it's not episodic. Like it stops. Like it's not the original airing style of mm-hmm. editing. Everything Weird. is just right into each other, and it's not even like so. Another the like a good comparison against this would be Scarlet that we watched, also um, starring Joanna Wally. Oh, we have another oh, Joanna. Joanna Wally. Is that a time she, period? Yeah, she comes up all the time in the show now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, uh, in Scarlet. There would at least be these like moments where it's like fade to black, and oh, you, yeah, can you can tell, tell that the where episode the... would have ended there. Well, you can also tell where they've like insert where they've left room to insert like commercials, and here they everything just goes straight through. I had no hmm. idea where one was supposed to end or begin, and like it, it didn't even feel like a contemporary show where the climax is super high and they kind of are usually leaving you on a significant cliffhanger yeah yeah i i I couldn't really identify i wouldn't yeah can't identify any of those like places it's just one two or two really long tapes kind of sounds british in that style yeah (laughs) yeah bbc especially yeah is that a thing i I think so like especially from the time period okay they they probably intended to just shoot it as uh, a feature that was six hours, but in, in BBC, just they did it episodically and would just release the whole thing, probably once a week, maybe. I, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but yeah, I feel like I've watched a few BBC series, and it's just like, okay, I guess the episode's over, and <laughs> not sure. There was no cliffhanger as a mm-hmm. typical American style. Yeah. Sure, that makes sense. Well, it, what it, this makes me wonder is just like because this felt like a. The prestige television that we didn't get until like the 2000s right um and everything like when i was looking i looked up a little bit about this movie mm. i try not to um usually johnny will have stuff for us here um but this is the same director who um he directed uh, like the two best bond movies <laughs> like objectively <laughs> he directed goldeneye and casino royale nice um, and then he also directed the remake of this starring Mel Gibson. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's Interesting. wild. Uh, but <laughs> when I saw that he... like Mel Gibson starred in that. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the only awards that was uh, listed on his Wikipedia was the one he won for directing this. And I think I was reading that about like halfway through the first tape. And I was just like, yeah, like this, this is a really like powerful and... Uh, interesting TV show kind of just like drops you in that like, actually one of the criticisms I have about this show is that it drops you in 
And I think it's just it was just too British for me to understand. Like some invest some investigator is talking to a, a mayor, maybe about election fraud, <laughs> so, and they're just going right into it. They're not really giving you exposition in a way that helps you understand it. You either have to be British and have to know about politics to understand like what tension you're being dropped into. That's, I think that's pretty typical to the BBC investigator. There's so many now too. Oh yeah. Like the, the British shows that like some of my favorite ones are all just like fucking cop dramas and I hate it. (laughs) They're so good. (laughs) They are. Well done. Yeah, no, it definitely it it doesn't give you much of a lifeline when you uh, go in. But I, I personally kind of like that because I, then it's like, I I can just sit and watch it, and I know it's going to be revealed as I keep paying attention. I can understand because, like, in the grand scheme of things, where this goes, it's like like you think he's. Um, a man of significance he's a detective and he's investigating someone like pretty prominent who's pretty prominent um and by the end of the movie it's just like who the fuck cares about that election fraud <laughs> when you get to like uh like new world order espionage and uh stealing plutonium from other countries wow yeah it it it's it like it goes there it's so wild <laughs> it's so wild like, but but when we were watching the second tape and I was starting to feel just exhausted, my <laughs> my my criticism by the second tape was like, you need notes to watch this whole series. Like if you were watching this once a week as it was coming out, you got to refer to your notes. <laughs> <laughs> or you need previously on Edge of Darkness. Right. And then you just go through just like a quick, I don't know if they did that back then. I don't know if they would do that while this was actually airing. But like mm. you, you need this because I was like we were more or less paying attention the whole time, and I was like, "Who's this guy again? Why is he?" Mm. We there are just so many questions that I needed to be reminded of. There are so many players. <laughs> a lot of them, like um, a recurring thing that came up a lot is like, "Whose side are you on?" And by the end of the movie, they're just saying like. You're on our side now. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, there are no sides. You just either are helping the people in power or you're you're not. Like, that's really what it comes down to. So, throughout the whole movie, when they're just kind of like, you're trying to figure out who, who you want to root for is hard. It is so hard to keep track of yeah. all of the information that you're mm-hmm. given. Is it's thorough? Like this, this movie is like really fucking like thorough. Whoever whoever wrote it and kept track of everything. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely one of those things where like you were introduced to two characters who are sort of like the shadowy MI five figures uh, that like are, are sort of the uh, sources for this guy, and so at a certain point, you think that well they they have their interests and you know they're the state interests and and then by the end of this series you find that those guys have been getting played the entire time so if anybody is the protagonist it's actually these two guys who like embarked you're supposed on, to like, not this, trust yeah like <laughs> these these guys you thought were like you know playing playing our uh um our main character Ronnie Craven and 
Buddy Ronnie. Yeah, you're just like, dang, like (laughs) everybody was an instrument in this movie, like, but for a couple of people. Wow. Um, Well, it's like you have um, a way that really helped me just kind of understand everything was you're either a player or you're not. Yes. It's like you have the few people in power, you have the people who work for them, and they're all players. They're all, uh, like, like all they want is information and power, mm-hmm. and then everyone else is collateral damage, like, like, point blank. Yeah. So, basically, all of the major actors are intertwined into that story, and they have a, a significant role in something unraveling or something like that yes yeah this whole this whole series was just like something unraveling and then by the end it's just Mm. it's not disappointing it's just kind of like soul crushing by how um how complicated it is and then how like it's actually not that complicated it's just really dark yeah i think what makes it a tough watch in this day and age now when you watch something like this it thoroughly dispenses with any hope that, oh, you can just elect the right people. And if you just elect the right people <laughs> into uh, public service, all the problems will go away. Right. <laughs> it's like, no. which, which, again, go like back to one of my earlier points was like, we are dropped into this movie in the middle of a conversation about election fraud. And you're by the end of it, it does not matter. Yeah. It does not. Like, <laughs> It's the entry point, and that's it. Yeah, it's like, here's all the things that you think are really, really important, and, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, voting, democracy. And it's actually, like, actually, those decisions just kind of, like, shake out wherever we want. <laughs> well, and, and not even just that the election fraud doesn't matter. It's that this series does a really good job of, put like, putting you through the red herrings that our protagonist encounters. So, like, the election fraud you end up finding was a red herring. Like, it's not even that it didn't matter, is that the entire damn thing was orchestrated. Right. Um, and so, it, it, just the layers of obfuscation. Yeah, it, that that's actually another recurring theme. The uh, So, his, <clears throat> um, his daughter gets, like, murdered kind of, like, right out of the gates. And... Um, he like as he's going through her things he finds uh like a gun he finds a geiger counter <laughs> and yeah. uh eventually finds out that she's wrapped up in a environmental terrorist direct, direct group. action uh-huh. group yeah um hmm. and by the by like towards the end of the second tape you find out that um even though the government, like the the British government, is seemingly in opposition with this direct action group, um, they had a hand in uh, creating it, and so did the CIA. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it. It's, and it's, and jo- and Joe Don Baker was one of the co-founders. It, it's so great too because <laughs> I can imagine Joe Don Baker like in this extended universe. I imagine an episode oh of this God. show where he Joe deserves Don- is a spinoff. He deserves like uh, a backstory. <laughs> I, I I don't yeah. like when we explore backstories, and I don't like spinoffs. I'd watch. <laughs> I would I would watch this Joe Don Baker spinoff because I I imagine him like thoroughly like. Being just like out and out infiltration mode, uh, CIA, 
Like I just wearing, want the charming Texas wearing part hippie of it. clothes, smoking pot <clears throat> with all these environmentalists, <laughs> and like he is just totally like along for the ride. Like listening to the same music, even likes it. Doesn't have to pretend. Doesn't like, he like Will, what do you say? He likes Willie Nelson. He likes Willie Nelson. Yeah. He's like a very co- big country and western fan, but like also he's very. Um, don't mess with his golf. D- don't mess with his golf. <laughs> Uh, but just his whole thing is like, if you're going to be here, don't look like a fed, um, you know, and, and it's, which uh, is hard for like a British, like a, a British police officer to kind of comprehend. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just, uh, not the way they do things. And I, I, I guess maybe that makes sense in a historical smart way, because there's also a lot of class barriers in the UK that they're just don't exist in the same way here you mm. know sure uh, yeah you, nobody looks at you because you talk with a different accent that's like not a grammar school accent um, right or something like that right. so i i could see how those two things get a little different mm-hmm. um across the pond well when when you uh mentioned this title as being discussed i had to <clears throat> investigate okay but there wasn't yeah. a lot um, in terms of, I wanted to see something. All I could find was a trailer, and there was a clip as well on IMDb, mm. um, and I was intrigued. I I would like to watch it. I think didn't yeah. wasn't doesn't the BBC sell a DVD? There is a DVD. Okay, and I would definitely after watching this, I would definitely get it. Um, it would be nice to be able to hit stop after an episode. <laughs> Maybe it's presented it differently. Oh, yeah. Six <clears throat> hours, just one six hour ago. Yeah. Yeah, that um but uh yeah, there's a DVD, but yeah, I, I I did a little bit of checking to see if anybody had uploaded the episodes, if you could stream it anywhere. Yeah. And I think there's like one episode that somebody epi- uh uploaded to like um I like I don't even know Vimeo or something like that. Yeah. Um but uh <laughs> This is just yeah. like such a well made um piece of like T V media. I I loved it. There were so many um interesting uh just like like the the camera movements were at times really elaborate there's a whole uh sequence where our buddy ronnie and joe don baker are climbing down into a nuclear waste plant where they're pretty sure like plutonium is being made and you see them just go down like hundreds and hundreds of feet and you know you see wide shots Mm -hmm. of it um, yeah. I, I don't know what, if any kind of like in camera, um, techniques were used, but it it looked great and it looked big and, you know, there's really impressive like, uh, crane shots that, um, just were really, you know, were really elaborate to coordinate, you know, you're getting a super zoomed in shot of him in a car and then it zooms out and then you're just in a whole nother part of the cemetery where the gravesite is and you're just like god damn there's just the production is just so well executed and it's ambitious it raises the question too and maybe you'll be able to weigh in on this because like you know when you talk about those scenes in the um inside the coal mines going into this plant Mm -hmm. um you know they there weren't no matte painting um but uh there wasn't no that that, like in those that 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 wasn't a matte painting that i could tell at least um well you wouldn't be scenes you wouldn't but it also makes me think because bbc is owned by the government Mm. like so in what ways do they have access to locations 
that that we wouldn't? we don't like <clears throat> in in our industry here like yeah um don't maybe. have to pay for everything yeah or at the very least like if they do you know it's all in the taxpayer dollars basically so mm -hmm. yeah i would assume that they would go on location and probably not have to pay for it yeah at, at a minimum uh, who knows like where where it could have been i mean being in europe they have access to a lot easier travel to maybe a location that's practically abandoned yeah mm -hmm. yeah um, and time. there's just a lot of mine shafts there i mean a lot of coal miners that's mm -hmm. true that's you very know? true you know so yeah yeah like all in all i loved it um <laughs> Uh, yeah, by the end of it, I know that I, in principle, would, like, absolutely detest someone like Joe Don Baker. But he's got, he's got just one of, like, the best, most redeemable, like, scenes towards the end of this that just made, like, we almost, like, jumped up and shouted. Like, he was... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was so good. Well, because it's, it's the, you know, it's the guy who sort of I think what I like about Joe Don Baker's character is that he is the fed that just got out of Vietnam realized that he didn't really have many other options and he was good at a thing and he just kept doing it well, he's also and, smart and saw, like he's a player oh no he's a player yeah. for sure but but like you know he's just I think he's somebody who did it because it was the thing to do and at a certain point realized this is really messed up, but I'm like in too deep now. Like, even if I quit, I'm still in, mm -hmm. like I can't quit. <laughs> and so by the end of it, you just see how this guy knows his days are numbered because he's been exposed to a hot cell of plutonium. We see, yeah, he stole a lot of plutonium. Like with very little protection. <laughs> so the dude's irradiated to hell, <laughs> like, and he capitalizes that in a beautiful way that kind of shakes up that entire system. And, eh, you know, while really. one person can't, well, while one person can't bring it down at the very least, what, what somebody can do is like, um, expose what they can of it with the time that they have left. And um, expose a bunch of powerful people to plutonium. And expose a bunch of powerful <laughs> people to plutonium. Yeah. Okay, that's one way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like when I say like that, like it's just like uh, like sh like a Texan just like shooting. <laughs> yeah, shooting, Ro <laughs> shooting in a crowded movie theater. That's as, like very similar to what he did, and it was wonderful. Edge of Darkness, also known as rooting, tooting, plutonium. <laughs> yeah. If you could put this. Into one word, if you could describe it one word, um, or one phrase. Yeah. What would you use? Unlike previous episodes, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> because it, this one is just so hard. Like I said, it was a roller cooler. Roller cooler? <laughs> roller cooler. Rootin' tootin' roller cooler. <laughs> it was a roller coaster of expectations, not really emotions. Like, there was, like, this movie was a pretty great... Um, just like portrait, I would say like the first tape is a beautiful, like kind of crushing portrait of grief. Mm. Um, Ronnie, you know, our buddy Craven is pretty deep in just like investigating what happened to his, like, why did his daughter die? And the way they show him, like he interacts with her quite a bit in, in his head. And it's just like, exactly 
how I kind of talk to people who aren't around anymore. Just, um, I don't know. It was just, it was just so sad. And um, I think a, a, a really honest portrayal of, of grief. And then the second tape, oh, the second tape was upsetting I, I don't like that's kind of what it just left me with like the whole rest of my day we watched this and this was our entire morning on sunday and just the whole rest of my saturday. day so it was a saturday what yeah. day is it today it was so gnarly <laughs> it, 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 not, it knocked you into next week <laughs> um, yeah it, it was it's just kind of like the as satisfying as this is it is still just like really uh kind of crushing and um I would say maybe just like hope, like it, it did leave me feeling hopeless because um, the ending was satisfying. Everything made sense. Like none of the information that you were given really like went to waste. Um, but by the end, it's like the same people are, are still empowered. Like, uh, you know, all of the respected parties that you're wondering which one's going to come out on top? They're all eating dinner at the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what are you supposed to do with that? You just, it's like, it's introspective. I don't know that it's like um, something like this maybe is cautionary, but like to what extent? <laughs> mm. What do we have? Uh, like, it's like I said, it's very, um, I don't know, I guess pessimist. It just leaves me with a lot of pessimism. As, as great as this is, this is just like top tier storytelling. And I know. Yes. Yeah. So, next question. Would you rewind it? I would. I don't know that I'd watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I don't know. Yeah, I would rewind it. Um, it, I I don't think I could watch this for another couple of years. uh, Say for the state of global politics, we'll see where we are and if I can handle it. If you'd like Mm -hmm. to see a podcast taking movies like this apart. And drawing the corollaries to actual events of history, leave a comment because I'll start that podcast <laughs> if you want it. <laughs> this is one of my favorite genres, um, and and really because movies like this, I firmly believe, um, aren't just made up whole cloth. Uh, especially when you kind of know about um, uh, the, history and not even just history, but uh, the. Um, like the Ian Fleming novels oh. uh, and mm-hmm. what who Ian Fleming yeah. was and how like a lot of what he put into uh, the James Bond stuff was like stuff that might have actually been closer to reality than than not. Um, what genre do you place it? Uh, I would say this is a geopolitical thriller um, or technically this would actually be a geopolitical thriller because it deals with the politics of like things in the earth. <laughs> That is, uh, that, is more than technical, level, yeah. that is the technical <laughs> definition of geopolitics um, as opposed to global politics, a global political th- th- uh, thriller. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Would you rewind? I would definitely rewind it. And if I could, uh, if I could sum this up with one word, it would be they. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want you to know. Those they. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Next we have... Bugbee's pick. 
which is 1987's Blue Velvet, directed by David Lynch. So two movies released the same year. And um, different, but not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Oh, go ahead. Well, yeah, I just wanted to quickly um, ask, like, why why pick this? There's there's a lot of tapes here, uh, a lot of bangers, a lot of weird stuff, mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, just titles that have been memory hold. That so why why Blue Velvet? That's a great question. Um, David Lynch has kind of played a pivotal role in my interest in films, and Blue Velvet uh, was the only movie on the list that really grabbed me. Okay. Um, mainly because it's in my top 10 films of all time. Okay. Um, it is, it's a different kind of movie mm. and people have heard of it, but maybe not watched it. So I like to pick things that hopefully more people will pick it up and watch it into an older movie, especially now. Mm. Um, doesn't feel that old to me, but um, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid when this came out, so I did not see this until... Uh, like film school, um, that sort of thing. And um, David Lynch did have newer movies that I did see in the theater. Um, and he's pretty much retired and almost not with us anymore. I kind of think he's um, done making movies, but very inspirational in my own um, career-ish. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I got to say, this was... I've seen this movie somewhere around f- four or five times. Um, and uh, this was the most rewarding uh, watch through that I've done of it. And um, uh, I especially love the theme with these two of making the hidden thing known. Yeah. Um, that That is just a very cool thing. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say more when we get into it, but I'm really glad you picked this one uh, because it, it, it it was yeah, just have I actually have a relationship with this movie, so right on. I almost didn't pick it, um, mainly because it is very disturbing. It's a very mm. disturbing film. Um, but I think that's part of the draw mm. and examining the strange is um interesting to me. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. totally. Well, this is my my second time watching this. I had a lot of uh, pretentious <laughs> friends growing up. Uh, I was probably insufferable in my own way. You went to art school. And then I went to art school. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, you know, just watching a lot of David Lynch's early stuff and, like, suffering through them. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, was part of the intrigue. Um, although, like, it has been just a long time. And so it there were a lot of... Uh, me feeling like I was watching it for the first time. Uh, the only things that really stuck with me were um, probably like the, the most disturbing scenes or the most um, like alluring scenes, like the whenever like David Lynch gets really like dreamlike, like those things, those are the kinds of images that stick with me. But like what this movie was about, I completely forgot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, uh, an- yeah, another one of the, just like, uh, there's kind of a lot of stuff going on and you like don't quite know what's really happening until uh, your protagonist puts it all together at the end. <laughs> mm, right, right. 
Also a conspiracy thread in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a mystery. It's, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Okay, so let's get into, so this, um, uh, this is interesting, uh, this interesting box art. This is probably something that was, uh, well, it's a clamshell that is stuffed with the, um, the actual box, the box looks like, yeah. Can I uh, can I interject about mm-hmm. that a little bit? I worked at a video store. I worked for Hollywood Video when I was um, in, uh, well, just out of high school Rad. before I went to film school. <laughs> so seeing seeing like your collection mm-hmm. brings back a lot of memories because it was all VHS at that time. Cool. Um, there was some DVD. I guess we were making that transition, but it was still VHS. Um, so like seeing this stuff where rated R restricted, you know, mm-hmm. that was something that um, preventing kids from taking that up to the counter probably and be- not being able to rent mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah. And um, they would take the actual box. Um, if it was an insert, they'd just put it in a clamshell because mm-hmm. they'd have to get reused. And then like when they were done with it, potentially like at Hollywood anyway, they had overstock, and you take those boxes out, put it back together, and then put it on the shelf for the previous really? year for sale. That's our panic room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's our panic room. <laughs> <laughs> the movie Panic Room. Yeah, our copy of Panic Room is like that. It's a old Hollywood. Okay, we, got some, okay. we got a few uh, Hollywood video. Uh, previously viewed. Yeah, previously viewed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this one is a previously viewed movie, although I don't. It's not Hollywood video. No. It's like a uh, local kind of outfit. Um, Interesting. I wonder if this was like a television. No. Was it a screener? No, it's just. I don't know. KLV TV. This doesn't look like it was a studio. That's Kino Lorber. That's just like the distributor. Yeah. 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 No, I think. um, I I thought I saw something with like a kind of a local video store marking, but. Yeah, we I do a lot of speculation of on video distribution <laughs> yeah, that uh, a historian could easily actually. Tell maybe us about. I can ask you a question uh, yeah. regarding because um, this didn't have trailers. Um, Edge of Darkness didn't have trailers, but it's not hmm. such a mystery why it didn't have trailers. Sure. But uh, many of these types of films, we you know, they don't have any previews on the tape, and we've been trying to figure out why some do. And some don't. Had a lot of hypotheses. Um, mine right now is that anything that was retail stock to be sold directly to a customer through like a retail chain may not have, whereas anything that went to film store or like a video rental places may have because you're trying to get people to mm-hmm. rent more videos. Right. Um but do you have any uh, sense of what may have? I think the on the retail side there were, I, and just judging from that big collector's series sticker mm-hmm. on there, I think that you may have paid extra, maybe for like the special edition. Um, they used to also put like special features on if it had if the tape had room for it. A featurette. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so. I think it would probably be more like retail oriented and you're right. Like they'd always put trailers on the rentals, try to get people to mm-hmm. rent more movies. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of retail that had the trailers too. Cause same thing. They want you to buy more movies. Right. Right. And know what's no, but like the, 
being part of some kind of like special series that actually because my theory about why some would or wouldn't even if they have the same distributors is like like some directors just don't want them on their films correct yeah kevin costner kevin costner (laughs) (laughs) and maybe lynch too Mm -hmm. he may have had enough pull with uh uh laurentis dino de laurentis to let that because he did have uh uh director's cut uh, final cut he'd had final cut wow. for this movie wow wow all right yeah cool. it depends on the distributor ultimately like who who had the rights to put it on vhs sure. and what their aim was like collector series stuff like they've those people that are buying those mm-hmm. probably didn't want that and that, so they're paying to not have to watch trailers i remember kind of being annoyed back in the day i, I always trailers? skipped them i always yeah, skipped them yeah. yeah and now they're like a treasure <laughs> totally because <laughs> we don't get that anymore i was so unbothered theater. by trailers like um there's there's so many uh, movies that i just associate with like a specific trailer because i would just pop it in and let it run and just watch through it right i think there was a lot of me that just or like up to a certain age i kind of just enjoyed commercials which i'm sure any child <laughs> does oh yeah um and like same with trailers I'd watch like I I would watch them all like kind of happily. I I, I kind of went back and forth. I think as I got older and and um, seen too many of them, I'd be maybe fast forwarding through them. But definitely reflecting now, I seriously enjoy them. Yeah, and miss it. Awesome. So we should probably read the yes. back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The back of this box. Um, uh, so it's. The most it has, talked about film it, of the decade. Uh, it probably was. <laughs> I and, don't doubt it. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt it. Uh, this is uh, just like one of the iconic covers that I would see uh, pop up associated with this movie. Um, <clears throat> it's got uh, Isabella Rossellini on it twice. <laughs> with, uh, with, with the only... airbrushed article of clothing. I don't think she's actually wearing that in that Oh, is scene. that... Where, see, the, the yeah. R-rated tape is over Kyle McLaughlin's. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. She wouldn't be wearing anything, so they airbrushed blue velvet over her. Yeah. Um, but then we have our little Dennis Ho- Dennis Hopper here, who, this is the age I only know him in. Between this, between Speed, and between, was it Super, Super Mario, Mario Brothers? Bros. He <laughs> is not any other age for me in my mind than what he is here. Okay. Uh, let's see. 1986 Academy Award nominee for Best Director. 86. Oh, 86. Okay, so, one, so it came one, one year before. Okay, so then this tape came out in 87. And we have a we have a quote from Peter Travers of People magazine. Okay. <laughs> Erotically charged ellipses. You've never seen anything like it in your life. <laughs> That's for damn sure. It's definitely. Yeah. Like like probably not on a release that this had. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Yep. And then we have, quote, could be the most sensational work of cinema since Last Tango in Paris, <laughs> says John Powers of LA Weekly. Okay. Have you seen Last Tango in Paris? I've seen the parts. Um, I've seen parts of it, and I've seen the parts that are uh, kind of get worse with age, like the more... 
we've been able to learn about what was going on behind the scenes. It's actually like, I don't know that I would want to watch it again. Okay. okay. I, have, you, I have not seen it. I've not seen it. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with it. It's Marlon Brando. Is right? it? Mm-hmm. I okay. think so. Yeah. Um, and just the, <laughs> the hearsay around that movie mm. about nudity and whatnot. Um, I don't know. I just, nobody ever liked really gave me a pitch that made me want to watch it. Mm. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it really refers to. Um, right. and like there, there's like just quite a few like sexually explicit scenes and, um, the actress who was um, in it with Marlon Brando, who were in all of those sex scenes, she just she had a very like similar experience to. Uh, it, it was not a good experience, like right. uh, in any shape or form. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I see. So yeah, drawing the same sort of c- conclusions. Yeah, yeah. Cause, yeah R- Rossellini's character did not have a good time. Did she? Because I. Okay, so. Um, I remember that uh, was it. Ebert had like a pretty infamous uh, like t- uh, pan of this movie, and he cited uh, Isabella Rossellini and how uh, you know she was like absolutely humiliated and degraded. And I like like somewhere like there's a memory that Isabella Rossellini responded to him and was like, "No, I wasn't." Yeah, I mean, like, her character. In oh, the, sure. So like that definitely was not a good experience. But she did enjoy working with David Lynch. She was dating him at the time. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting um, take. Like, what what assumptions did Ebert make? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or he, yeah, more um, gossip or something. Sure. Knows? I think he was just uh, offended, by it, like personally yeah. Yeah. offended by. I it. mean, that's you know that. Hey, fair. Like that, it is upsetting imagery. Mm-hmm. It is. I think it's a little a little hair trigger for him though. Yeah. Yeah. You know. To, Okay, so this movie is about, it is, no film in recent history has generated more praise or more controversy than Blue Velvet. Director David Lynch, Eraserhead, The Elephant Man, Dune, takes you on a surreal journey that peeks through the windows and over the well-trimmed hedges of a small town to discover murder, mystery, and perversion. His hero, Kyle McLaughlin, finds a severed ear whose trail leads him to a detective's daughter, Laura Dern, and a mesmerizing beauty, Isabella Rossellini, with a terrible secret. Dennis Hoffberg's ferocious performance as the sadistic villain is already legendary. Disturbing, astounding, and sometimes oddly comic, Blue Velvet is unlike anything you've ever seen before. One touch, and you'll never be the same. That is yeah. that is absolutely true. <laughs> yes, it, it, there's many disturbing elements to to the story, and it, mm. you don't really get to it until uh, halfway through. Um, you know the, the the perfect little town in America. Mm. Um, it it can be a hard hard one to watch, especially if you've. Um, experienced anything like that before so anyone that hasn't seen it um and might have some issues um around sexual assault (laughs) yeah it's it's uh 
hardcore. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, or even just like physical violence against uh, like women, or or there's a lot of there's a lot of physical violence. Like Kyle MacLachlan gets the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. Um, but Isa Bella Rossellini also takes uh, like several hits to the face. I'm gonna tell y'all straight up. If you are n- not an adult <laughs> and you still live with your parents, don't watch it. Watch this one <laughs> in your room. <laughs> um, the first time I ever saw this, it's a good story. It this was a movie that <clears throat> I became aware of because where I grew up, there was a theater that would do midnight movie every Saturday and Friday night. Every weekend, my friends and I would go. Mm-hmm. The weekend this was showing, I was really looking forward to seeing this. Um, I hadn't seen any David Lynch films. And uh, I wasn't able to go. I think, uh, I don't know if I got grounded or just nobody ended up going that weekend, but I just didn't go. And I found this at the local hole-in-the-wall, you-name-it-we'll-order-it video shop uh, called Video Star, And rented it. They totally didn't care. They're just like, well, you're giving They didn't us- care and they didn't warn you. <laughs> they're, like, they're, they're just like, if somebody's coming here and not to the Hollywood video, like right over that away. Great. Thanks. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> and so, um, so I rented it from them and got home, put it on, like watching it. I'm like, okay. And my mom comes and sits down on the couch behind me. And so- it's like right as like Kyle McLaughlin's like looking through that closet shutter. <laughs> and then I don't need to tell you any more than that, folks. You can watch this, but this is really where we hit the fever pitch in that movie. And um, it's not even just nudity. It's it's the, the violent aspects of it and just uh, uh, Dennis Hopper's utterly deranged performance. Like, holy cow. Yeah, it's it's so wild. Um, and then the like, so that happened. And at this point, I'm just like, I'm not going to turn around. <laughs> I'm just going to keep looking. And, <laughs> and then, so, <laughs> so then there's that. But then on a dime, the, you know, that scene kind of switches to this other because you like you're experiencing layers of this eroticism and how it's juxtaposed to like violence and softness. And then like when, you know, she's asking, uh, uh, Laughlin to feel her and just like the dialogue in that scene. It's at that point where my mom's like, what the fuck are you watching? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I don't know, it was a midnight movie. I didn't know. I know what to expect. I know what to expect. Um, and so it, that my first watch of this will go down as one of the most utterly awkward moments in my life. Um, but uh, I'm glad I stuck it out because um, I've seen it multiple times since. And um, there's just so much in this damn movie. Yeah. It just reveals more every single time. And... Um, yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, so Blue Velvet I actually don't remember the first time I watched it. I did not have a traumatic experience like you did. <laughs> a traumatic um, a, tra- a trauma bonding <laughs> experience with your mom. I do have a feeling that it was in the basement of my house, maybe with my brother or friends. 
Um, but man, part part of it is just that that shock factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the first half of the movie is just kind of getting to know uh, Jeffrey, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and that's being a Jeffrey. It it was kind of off putting and planted a seed of like that name's kind of weird <laughs> in my in my brain. Interesting. Um, along with all the other history of the the crazy Jeffreys, like Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, okay. Uh, I'll I'll just stop there because that's. Not, <laughs> but um, the I don't know. I I feel like the the way that Lynch tells a story with imagery and and you mentioned like some of the, like the dreamy type of sequences. It's inspiring to and and enlightening to see someone actually just using sound and video yes. and yeah to just tell stories that are very cerebral yes uh, you know the film starts out um <laughs> with uh, uh one of the things is a, a fire truck going by and the fireman's just right. waving right yeah. at the camera which is not something you typically see like that's breaking that um that facade that you are not you're just watching something when the fireman is looking at you. Mm-hmm. That's rare to see That's in a really in a production, any production. Um, and then you go right into, which you don't know, is his father watering the front lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, does he get stung by something? You don't know. He just kind of suddenly falls down to the ground. And um, there's a lot of imagery there where close-ups to the the dog just like chomping at the water right um he's lying in some sort of like stringed off area which Mm. what does that mean like there's there's a lot of layers of things and then going into the grass and getting down into the beetles that are yes right underneath him or close to him yes um there's a lot to unpack there and so it's a, a a moving painting in a lot of portions of this this film, yeah. Along with a, a mystery, not not just like murder, but getting involved personally involved mm-hmm. in it, and mm-hmm. um, there is a lot of personal story there from Lynch. I think that comes from his childhood or even maybe college years mm. that um, just make it very interesting. I think. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Yeah, one of the first things that struck uh, us on this rewatch was the the opening titles, and it reminded us of uh, something that we would see in a Kenneth Anger film. Like, so you have the the very literal like blue velvet curtains, and then really uh, like really nicely contrasted but bright like titles over it. It's like something out of the golden age of Hollywood. But it harkens back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. just with a little bit more like pop and style, like. Yeah. Um, like, like almost, almost kind of punk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the, there's there's a lot of um, like old fashioned glamour to it, and especially with the time period that it's set in. It does. I don't think it explicitly tells you like what year it's set. You just no, it, pick it up from the context clues, what people are driving, what people are wearing, and um, they're like even just that. There's just like for me at least when I watch things. Um, set in that time there is just like a little bit of inherent glamour because that's kind of like what people Mm. were Mm -hmm. expecting out of each other Mm. right just more effort yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of brightness to like going into the home with the white picket fence Mm. 
and all the very um, perfect flowers, yes. almost too perfect. Yeah. And the way that everything is framed, it's like you you see each portion of that very close up, like they're, they're each their own painting again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was so striking watching this movie is just how the, the thesis of this movie is set up with, as you said, the white picket fence, the idyllic flowers, this perfect suburban society. Everything is as like chaos is cordoned off. Like mm -hmm. literally that's the fence is keeping it away. Yeah. But the fence can't keep it away because as you go deeper, there's there's this entire world underneath that in some ways must exist. Right. Um, and so uh, it, it was just so striking to be able to watch that this time and to see that and to, to grok the intentionality of it. And like, it really rocked me. Like it, it there are multiple points in the, the, watching it this time that were just like, wow. Yeah. This is a genius. Yeah. It's genius. Yeah. Well, and uh, Jeffrey walking through whatever back alleyway it's it's not even alleyway it's um a backyard yeah it's like a lot like abandoned yeah a lot mm -hmm. where he finds the ear mm -hmm. um you know and again going into extreme close-up and seeing insects yeah um there's a lot of there's a very visceral feeling and that's the thing about i think his films is that it's it's intended to communicate his emotions mm -hmm. um at least that's what i get from it, um, and especially being able to go back and listen to him talk about some of this stuff and sure. in the behind the scenes stuff, um, it helps kind of like put some perspective in in the artists behind the scenes, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but you know, the, some of the re reoccurring themes with digging deeper, like there's there's a couple of times when the the camera zooms into an an ear, you don't know whose ear it is, especially like towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's going into blackness mm -hmm. essentially. What, what? Why? Like, what? What is that doing? You totally. know, where where are we going with that? And it's it's really about. I think maybe it's like, hey, we're we're examining something in the dark. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think that's just like one of the things that makes a Lynch film a Lynch film. Yeah, like my uh, kind of relationship with David Lynch has always. Mm interacted with his work as like he is not just a, a filmmaker but he makes really intentional art films in a way that like i i don't put that label on like most most other directors and a lot of that probably has to do with like his you know eraser head being such an infamous first film that mm -hmm. um kind of like did uh get seen uh, quite a bit for the kind of film that it was. Yeah. Um, and just the way people have talked about his work over my adolescence, which is just like uh, in excruciating detail, like picking everything apart, um, putting all of that uh, like uh, symbolism into like every frame. And with with David Lynch, I believe more than most directors that he's telling us something explicit. And there's, even though we're free to interpret it the way we want, like there's less room for interpretation. Like it's it's very I don't know. Like when when as I was watching this, I was just like uh, I was just trying to take everything as 
like a bigger than what I than what I would assume. Like uh, mm-hmm. you know, like seeing the that opening shot. We can just keep using that as our example. Um, like everything from like the the fire truck, the white picket fence, and then uh, just like the the insects underneath. It's just like all of that. I know it. There are these one to one comparisons, um, and I know the metaphors. And I'm like, okay, more than that. Like it's it's actually a lot more dramatic just because it's a David Lynch film. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I found striking um, this time around too was uh the character of jeffrey and how this dynamic exists between uh lord dern's father and uh what frank uh frank yeah so the way that both of these men almost are like it's just so incredible because jeffrey's father is incapacitated so he's he's essentially we can call him dead Mm -hmm. for all we know he's dead um, and so both of these are acting as like stand-in fathers in very strange ways. Like in, in one sense, you could say that, because um, you can tell that Lord Dern's father likes Jeffrey. You know, you can kind of see a little bit of that gumshoe in him and, right. you know, uh, he's a good kid. And so, uh, <clears throat> and, um, and so this impulse to like investigate is like one thing like a thing that maybe right. binds them or connects them but like that same impulse it's always the conversation with like the police and the criminals you right. know they're, they're just the good not, and the bad guys not a lot of difference it's a it's a razor's edge that's right um with frank it's more explicit at a certain point where they take him out to get roughed up he says you're like me and you can totally I think there's a way you can read that scene as an initiatory scene. Like Frank is very much kind of sussing him out. Like, do you want to be in in this world? Because well, we have to call him Daddy, also. <laughs> well, so this is another really interesting thing that I really love. So every time Dorothy welcomes Frank into the apartment, she says, "Baby," and and he he chews her out for it and what what's what was so interesting for me to realize in that is that it's not that she's using that as a term of endearment it's that when he's in the possessed infantile state from the the nitrous oxide right he's reverting back to his primal childlike self a baby mm-hmm. and what then when he's out of that, he's domineering, he uses sex as a weapon, he's daddy, which was just such a wild layer to consider uh, in watching this. Uh, it just, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. How yeah. much intention there was in this. Well, and I, and I think that, you know, Jeffrey and Frank are both kind of the same character in a sense that they, they, they're coming from David Lynch's kind of nightmares or... Um, imagination and trying to tell a story is like there's many sides to everyone Mm -hmm. yet we all have these tendencies potentially right um, if you're put in the wrong situation or the right situation to start acting out on these terrible things yeah yeah and that's what happens with jeffrey like he's 
brought into that world and then finds himself being violent mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. without really wanting to, but letting, giving into it. And um, I think that's a powerful statement. Yeah, totally. To self-reflect on mm-hmm. as a human being. Totally. Yeah. And the Foley in those moments is just so incredible. Like the way he was able to bring the sound that he crafted, the the audio world that he crafted in Eraserhead to this movie mm-hmm. where you're just seeing the animal inside of Jeffrey and everything's like, it's is that a, a slow shutter speed effect? Is that how they're getting that? Like for which, which um, one? you know, when the, if the frames are real dreamlike and sort of like choppy, choppy, is, I am not sure. Um, I would imagine it might be a shutter speed thing. Okay. Um, there may be another technique being used there, though. Okay. I have to investigate that. But Probably yeah, you get that with the strobe light too. Yeah, I don't know, but it like that is just such a powerful thing. Like you, you hear that animalistic rage in those moments, and it's, it's scary. It's, yeah, it totally, totally <laughs> is. There's just moments that that the character of Frank and his the way that hopper portrays him comes from a a level of experience that most of us don't have he did come out of rehab uh, right before this movie okay and he did uh river's edge Hmm. um what was the other one hoosiers okay all in the same year right after coming out of rehab to like rebuild his career wow and so he was definitely drawing on experience and making some risky moves in terms of at, at being an actor. Sure, sure. Um, but I think it only reinforced his powerful means of performance. Yeah. Um, he pulled it off in a yeah. very scary way. Yeah, he is uh, absolutely a frightful figure. And, and and also just everybody around him. I mean, even we had... Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf. Brad, Brad um, Dorf, yeah. Yeah, Dorf, yeah. You know, just the way that everybody is able to like really convincingly play that Frank has everybody fucking scared. Like (laughs) you don't fucking blink unless Frank tells you to. And like everybody plays that really well. So yeah, just the, the synergy on, on that, that. Huh. I got a different read from everybody in that, (laughs) that uh scene where he goes to either like uh drop off drugs pick up drugs get money like uh everyone they go to ben's house ben yeah suave suave motherfucker everyone (laughs) is like i read everyone in that room is just apathetic and probably high yeah yeah i mean like his his own crew like i didn't see them as scared so much as just strung out and i don't know probably enjoying whatever they were doing yeah, the, they're they're definitely like I think uh, there's the moment where um, he's kind of having the freak out about the uh, the beer, you know, <laughs> like <Hide> again. <laughs> yes, yeah, taps, blue ribbon. <laughs> um, but uh, but you know, then like oh, well, I said you want me to pour it, like, and like the 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 actor who's playing Ben is doing a very good because it's like. I, the what I got from them was like y- y- you can't look scared, but you are fucking terrified. Mm-hmm. But also, like if you give any inc- like any amount of that betrays, if your face betrays that, you're done for. Right. Like you're gonna be the person you're who next. catches his, his attention. It's uh 
sense. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I got that too, especially in that scene in in um, um, the house with all the the the, the dancers in the background yeah. and and the karaoke. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> quote unquote. There there were moments when you could sense a little tension between his crew, um, but they were also very confident because they already had somebody to pick on. Yes. Um, you know, you got to give the neighbor a joyride. Right. Joy and ride. so, and they were all nuts. Yeah. You know, they all had their own issues. Totally. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad you called it um, <laughs> because I had been apprehensive about revisiting David Lynch, not because uh, I, I don't like David Lynch, but because I, I didn't think I had the film chops to really pull what can be pulled out of a David Lynch movie. I've seen a few of his movies already, so I sure. mean, uh, but I always just felt like I was leaving confused. And mm -hmm. um, There's a lot to figure out. Yeah. And uh, you could easily spend hours trying to do that, and it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's part of the draw for me. Um, watching it again, I got different stuff out of it. Like, I never realized that... Um, Laura Dern's character actually talked about Robbins when they're sitting in the car. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, and linking it to like the ending with the, right. the mechanical Robin with the beetle in its mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's bringing the joy, right? There's a swarm of Robins in my dream, Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. Right. Totally. <laughs> bringing, bringing happiness. And eating all the rot. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> so this one's for both of you since you chose this movie. Mm. Um, yeah. What is your one word? One word, one phrase, summary. Um, I actually thought about this a little bit today. Um, and the word that popped into my mind was psychotropic. Sure, yeah. Um, it's very, yeah. it's almost like a drug yeah. in the sense that it makes you experience a lot of different things. Mm. Yes. Um, things that you're not ex necessarily expecting. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, I don't know where that word popped into my head, but it just was there and it, Obviously, you just came from the movie because I watched it yesterday. You so. Just ride the high, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See where it yeah. takes you. <laughs> yes, psychotropic. Yeah. And for myself, so um, <laughs> I don't know if I can like uh, narrow it down to one word. I mean, if I so did, hard. so it, hard. I mean, it would almost just be like um, camp. But if I could just expand on it, even with one or two words, it would probably be. Like the most stylish, successful, self-serious camp. Because mm. um, I think I think it does all of those things, and like um, everything that makes me just kind of connected to what I think feels looks like campy um, is a lot of what I saw like uh, like taken directly from like Kenneth Anger. There's mm. like a lot. Um, even with like the mid-century, uh, like the cars, the clothing, and just how pleasing all of that looks, kind of mm -hmm. reminded me of Scorpio Rising. Totally. And Kenneth Anger's totally. my uh, capital P problematic fave. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, but it's it's also like it's it's a really high stakes movie, and it's serious, and it takes those stakes seriously. Yeah. Like even though, like I don't. 
I know that, I know that we were laughing at times and like when that lady's dancing on the car we're just like mm-hmm. we're just like what the so fuck is happening yeah. I just is. like but I even though I'm laughing I don't think it's it's funny like I'm kind of like in in shock at everything right. that's happening the just like how easy this woman just sees what's happening doesn't give a shit and just wants to dance on top of this car for someone to have yeah for someone to have that response this is just another fucking day (laughs) that's what you have to realize and that's and probably high yeah and probably and and that came through that performance i think and so it like everything just feels like a little like probably more of like a, a, a satire but i just really wouldn't um like really put the word comedic near this anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's part of the uh what what David Lynch got so right about this film is that the fact that you're laughing, you know, it's there's absurd. only there's only oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um there's only one other film that I could say had the same effect on me and it's Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer <laughs> where like at a certain point you realize um in in that movie's case you realize you're a voyeur to the movie uh, to the murder in a way that like you didn't anticipate being mm-hmm. but in this one it's that th- to the degree that you're laughing in those situations he's showing you a little bit of your darkness like sure, yeah. he's showing you like yeah you got it in you too um which is you know to your point just such a brilliant aspect of this film yeah uh, man bites dog a French mm-hmm. film also kind of has that going on too, oh, where wow. there's there's a lot of comedy in in the murder. That so that you was kind of like want. a wow. like a darker wow. black comedy almost. Definitely, yeah, super dark, and it's shot as a documentary. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen that one, I'd I'll definitely check it out. Recommend it. I'll definitely check French it out. film. Okay. Would you rewind it? Yeah. Yeah. I rewind. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Not every director has a spotless record, but this is this is a good one. This one I think deserves to be watched. Just uh, be really careful and intentional about when and where you put this on, who you watch it with. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say yeah. now that you're now that you're a parent, how yeah. are you going to like navigate this when you're when your kid starts asking about David Lynch? <laughs> yeah, th- this is definitely one to wait until some growing up is going on yeah <laughs> how old is your son he's 11 okay so it's gonna be a little while yeah did i would hope so yeah that's only yeah. proper yeah <laughs> this is the kind of movie my grandparents would put on because it won awards they didn't care yeah. right yeah <laughs> yeah that r-rated sticker they don't they they do not give a shit <laughs> yeah well it's just it's so interesting because i like even for me like i feel like uh you know i even though I saw this at 17, I still wouldn't recommend seeing it even that early. Like right. it just, it, um, if not only for the fact that like, what can you, you get sh- out of it? Yeah. You should just really have seen a lot more movies. Like, I mean, even just, uh, one of the jokes I cracked about this is like, you know, this is a, like, uh, uh, um, Brat Pack meets Rear Window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. at a certain point, like, you yeah. got Laura Dern and Kyle McLaughlin, like, basically doing rear win- their own version of Rear Window. Right. And, um, and, and it's just like, that's something that you, you need a little bit of a lexicon to appreciate. For sure. So, the noir. Yeah. As a genre. Yeah. Um, to go back to your question about Lynch and turning it on to children, um, other films that he's made, um, 
you start with a straight story for the kiddos because it's actually rated G. Uh, have have okay. you seen a straight story? No, I haven't. It's a David Lynch film. Um, it is based on a true story, and it's about an old man who his brother is dying. He does not have a car, but he does have a tractor, mm. and he drives his tractor down the highway to go see his brother before he passes. Whoa! And it's very cerebral. Um, there's a lot of um, landscape picturesque shots of this old man traveling <laughs> and i love it it's it's a fun movie it and it's very family friendly for, okay. yeah. for lynch cool okay. so that's how i will turn him on to it if you know and we want to do it anytime soon <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, I don't think there's any rush no yeah <laughs> all right but while we're uh while we're in that mood like if i had to recommend a David Lynch film to a teenager. I think like I think I would probably start with Elephant Man because I think it yeah. is Elephant Man's a, also a great one. Yeah. Just yeah. it is just a serious enough like if the if the kid just like wants to start like getting into like weird stuff. Um the <laughs> politics of it are easy to follow and yeah. it's just a really interesting way to expose a kid to uh like how we used to like talk about and deal with and treat like freaks yeah, yeah. um i don't yeah there i mm -hmm. i think that's probably like a good entry point that'll challenge them enough i, I always forget that's one of his but now that i think about it that was the first, the first one, one that, that i saw now i was I about 15 too, yeah i think it was about 15 yeah my parents showed yeah. me that movie yeah yep. now for the mystery part of mystery simon theater 3000 tapes i'm gonna have to watch this week uh, which way am I doing this? This way. Okay. What is this first tape? So this first tape is the random one. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we have our... I remember that one. The reunion of Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and You've Got Mail. Uh, this... <laughs> This was, uh, speaking of my mom, I remember her being very excited about this. Meg Ryan was like her it girl for quite a while. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, this had to happen. There's a lot of these kinds of tapes in here. Mm. What right. about the second tape? So this next one is our guest for next week. Uh, Who's our guest for next week? Jonas Cannon. That's right. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh... Jonas! Yeah! <laughs> the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, man, this... I'm excited. I haven't seen this one. Yeah, this this is... um, I don't know what I expected from just watching the like commercials uh, a lot growing up, but the first time I saw this movie, like it really blew me away. Um, I always get this and A Beautiful Mind mixed up with each other. I think oh, they yeah. may have come out in the same yeah, year. Yeah, worlds apart in terms of like what they're about and how good they are. Yeah, one's about a, a mathematician. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer, Jennifer Conley's in that, and so it's not... It's not terrible, but it... Anyways, the talented <laughs> Mr. Ripley. Thank you, Jonas. Okay. Uh, so this third one is uh, yours. Did you do random, or are we doing another So this tour? was also random. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now... I was, I was wondering when we were going to get to this. We have like 32 If of there these. were oh, less yeah. stuff over there, what you would see is that we have just about the entire series. Wow. Of I Love Lucy. Like this, yeah. Um, How many episodes are on a tape? Uh, three? three. 
Okay. And there's like 30 some tapes. Yep. Um, but they're in the spreadsheet as I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. So, so with the same <laughs> logic that, uh, or a similar logic that we're using with like some of these longer uh, titles is, I guess, like if Lucy, like we're just not going to check it off for another 32 times. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah. We'll just have to start another spreadsheet tracking the episodes Episode. of I yeah. Love Lucy that we've watched. Yeah, this isn't nice. this isn't going to be like a, a terribly long watch. It'll ba- probably barely scratch like 80 minutes. Yeah. I doubt it. But I'm going to have so much to say. We've been having a lot of conversations on just like how media, like what kinds of media gets forgotten and which pieces are kind of allowed to remain like top of mind culturally and like like if it weren't for uh programs like nick at night or just like how how this even was able to be syndicated several times a day Mm -hmm. on um not cable tv but just like broad it was on broadcast tv and you know we've been I just found a, an old copy of this gigantic, we should bring it next week, this gigantic manual called uh, Total Television. Mm. And it's about that thick. And it is <laughs> yeah. a reference guide of all mm. known TV shows from like uh, 1940-something nice. to 1996. Um, and uh, specifically, we've been watching The Twilight Zone. Um, the the DVD box set and it includes the bumpers, and nice. it it includes bumpers from uh, sitcoms that have never heard of by like seemingly formerly famous comedians <laughs> who were really important. And like, do, do you know who Danny Thomas is? I've heard the name. You've yeah. heard the name. You've okay. at least heard the You've name. Heard the name. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just like shows like that, and so like it. Like shows like I Love Lucy just are fascinating me on a completely new level lately because of how many people know it. It's probably still like on Fox at noon, yeah. <laughs> like daytime TV, just yeah. like rerunning ad nauseum. And the the talent, I mean, we so um, I only just saw Citizen Kane for the first time a few months ago, right? <clears throat> and uh, and just seeing the episode with Orson Welles and like oh yeah when we came in to record I I was just like look what I pulled out (laughs) yeah you know it's just so it's incredible uh because of Desi Arnaz's connections um who could be on the show and um who was on the show and it's such a time capsule and and truly a treasure Mm -hmm. yeah um so agreed can't wait we're gonna have a talk about this even more in the next episode. This is great. Cool. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> and just looking I'm at excited. that damn cover, I get I, I like the just I hear the theme song Burn in my head. And it's, I it's, love so, it's Lucifer. Just, yeah, so, so, so. <laughs> um, and that was random. Yeah, that was a random pick. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's about time. But <laughs> it, if these were like listed 32 times, we would have probably like landed on it. Yeah. At least once Absolutely. already. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bugby, is there anything that you'd like to tell our wonderful audience? Uh, like where to find you? Do you have, like, mm. I know we've already talked about Film Church. Yeah. Uh, go back and listen to those episodes. Yeah. 
Yeah, Anywhere you, else they can find you? Anything else you want to tell people about? Oh, well, the I do have a website for uh, Film Church, filmchurch.org. Um, org? It is an org. Yeah. Decided to go with the org. They're a little bit cheaper than some of the others yeah. <laughs> to maintain. And .com was taken. Can you believe it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm also, like I mentioned before, working on adventure writing. Um, I have another website for that. I do a little bit of web design. Um yeah. And that is uh, Mage versus Monster. Cool. Um, That's really good. It's Mage versus Dot Monster. So it's a Dot Monster oh, domain. Cool, cool. And uh, I'm writing um, some Shadow Dark content, some adventures, um, just kind of getting started with that stuff. Um, but there will be more content. I've, I've collaborated with a bunch of other writers, and there is a free publication that will be out soon. Um, that has a collection of adventures, one of which is mine. Cool. Um, it will be available in PDF for free. And then you will be also be able to purchase a printed copy uh, from Lulu. Uh, cool. Lulu.com. Yeah, yeah. um, it, it, the paperback version should be something like $4.57 plus <laughs> shipping. Sweet. They do print on demand kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And so for like 10 bucks, you can get a printed copy. And that's awesome. just at cost. Cool. 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 And uh, yeah. does Shadow Dark use the D20 system? It does. Ah, it is a D20 system. Okay, it's cool, based cool. on uh, 5th edition OGL, but has roots to the um, old school. And so it's technically what people are calling the old school renaissance or OSR. Okay. And uh, it's it's a lot more deadly than what you know if you've played 5th edition yes. D&D. Um, so it's... More, be be ready to die if you're yeah. playing a character. Don't get too attached to your character. <laughs> yeah, and be thinking rather than rushing into battle. Yeah, that's mm. kind of the concept behind it. That's good. Oh, nice. They, they they put a little too many rails on 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 these later editions. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes you get people running amok. Murder hobos. <laughs> <laughs> that's the term that was invented after fifth edition became popular because it's a bunch of killing. Oh my gosh! That's and funny. and so I've been really excited about Shadow Dark. Um, it was a Kickstarter last March that raised one point three million dollars. Cool. Um, Kelsey Dion is the creator. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can easily find her. Um, just a really small community. And I love it. They're really um, accepting people and um, very creative. So cool. It's fun fun to be a part of. Awesome. Awesome. You gotta love great, it. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And those links will be in the description below. Yeah. Thank you. So if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Tell us if you're going to go watch Blue Velvet. Tell us if you're going to try and find the edge of darkness. Um, if you're watching this on a podcatcher, uh, leave us a review. Uh, I don't care how many stars you give it. Um, <laughs> let us know what you liked. <laughs> uh, let us know if you've seen any of these movies and just like what, like how you feel about them. Anything you feel like should have been talked about but wasn't. Lord knows people have a lot of opinions about David Lynch and what they think his films mean kind of by design. So <laughs> let us know what you feel about uh, Blue Velvet. Uh, let's see. Well, oh, yeah. We have a few social media accounts. We have an Instagram. We have a TikTok. It's M Simon T3K. Uh, follow us there. We put stuff on that <laughs> sometimes. 
Uh, what else? Is that it? That's it? Your newsletter? Yeah, I have a newsletter. Nice. It's been a while. I'm migrating it. But <clears throat> for now, you can still uh, subscribe to it and see uh, lots of the other movies that we've already talked about. But in my newsletter, I include some behind-the-scenes photos. I include all of the trailers. Uh, we take all of the trailers and I put them in my newsletter. So if that's something that you are fascinated by, I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> trailers are so weird sometimes and so wonderful. Uh, that is at weirdwonderfulstuff.substack.com for now. All right. Is that it? All right. Uh, good night and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, folks. Thank you, folks.